Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. We're going to start off right away reading a verse together. It's going to be on the back screen here. It's from Ephesians 2.10. And as soon as it pops up there, we'll read it. There we are. Here we go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When you came in today, you all got a sticker. If you didn't get a sticker, you missed our greeters. But there's a sticker and it says, for we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. So we are focusing on that today. Did you guys know that you are a masterpiece? Have you ever thought of yourself as a work of art? as a masterpiece. Did you know that God, the creator of the earth and the sky and the oceans and the mountains, he also made you. You are his masterpiece. You are all like a work of art, like a Monet or a Mona Lisa. Some of you have a more, more of a smile than Mona Lisa this morning. Some of you don't. But every single person in here is a masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And that doesn't mean that everybody in here is perfect, but it does mean that everybody in here, that God has placed an extremely high value on you. So I need a few volunteers to come and help me up here, and I may call on you whether you raise your hand or not, but you can raise your hand if you want, if you're like itching to go. So I need a millennial, so I'm going to call Mary Jo up here. Yeah, millennial. Yep, come on up. Uh, <laughs> isn't that Randy? Is that same? Same? Okay. Is that pretty close? Okay. Um, hey, Colson, do you want to come up and help me? You can do it. All right. And uh, let's let's see who else who looks really like they don't want to come up here. I'm good at that. Bruce, why don't you come up here? <laughs> Generation Z, is that what you are, Bruce? <laughs> all right. If you could all stand over here. I'll have you stand over here. I have some pennies here this morning. And I'm going to have you hold a penny. So I'm going to have you hold this penny for me. Whoops. Sorry. And I'm going to have you hold that penny for me, Colson. There you go. You can hold that one. And I've got a penny here too. And I want you guys to look at the penny. And on one side of that, you'll see that it tells you how much it's worth. Mary Jo, how much does your penny say it's worth? One cent. One cent. Colson, on your penny, how much does it say it's worth? You don't know. It's right here, buddy. One cent. Right there. They can take some uh, financial classes when you get home. <laughs> and how much does your say it's worth there, Bruce? One cent. One cent. Good job. You guys are rocking it today. All right. So now turn it around on the other side. And I want you guys to tell me what year your penny was made. Mary Jo, what year was your penny made? 1984. 1984. It's almost as old as me. It's ancient. And what does your penny say it's worth there, buddy? Or not what it's worth? 2017. It's a shiny one. And Bruce, when was yours made? Can Mary Jo come over and help me? 1967. 1967. Ooh, that's a good year. Uh, 67 Chevelle is one of my favorite cars. Uh, so that penny was around when classic cars were brand new. So we have a fresh and shiny penny from 2017. We have one from 1984, and we have one from 1967. Now I want you guys to hold out your pennies, and you guys probably can't see them from out there, but how would you describe your penny? Is it fresh and shiny? Is it a little worn? 
It's kind of worn. How about yours, Colson? What? Kind of worn, but it looks pretty shiny. Like it's the shiniest one of all of them up here. And how about yours? Worn. Little worn, little dull, 1967, put some age on it. So, sorry, Bruce. <laughs> but remind me again, Major, how much is yours worth? One cent. And how much was yours worth? One cent. One cent. And how much was yours worth? One cent. One cent. Excellent. Each of these pennies are in different conditions. Each of these pennies are from a different decade. But if you go to buy something with this penny, each of them have the same value, the same worth. And that's how God sees us. We are his masterpiece. We were created by God. And no matter how young or old we are, no matter if we are fresh and shiny, or if life has worn us down by a bit, or if we, even, if we are stained a little bit by sin, God still sees us as his masterpiece. And our value is the same to God. He, in fact, placed such a high value on each one of us here and those who are watching online that he sent his son to die for us. He placed that high a value of a worth on who you are that he did that for us. All right, guys, I'm going to have you sit down. Give our amazing volunteers a round of applause. So today is Generation Sunday, and most of us are here. And if you're not here with us, you're with your family. And so I want you to take a moment today, and I want you to look around, whether you're at home or in here, and look around the room. But I want you to look around a bit differently today. I don't want you to look around and see somebody's age. I don't want you to look around and see somebody, like what they're wearing. Uh, I want you to look around and see the value God has placed on them. The incredible value he has placed on the masterpieces sitting around you. So I want you to take a moment and turn to those around you and look them in the eye and say, you are a masterpiece. I heard some chuckling. This isn't a joke. Husbands and wives, you're really married to a masterpiece. Church, you are, inval- you are invaluable to God, our maker. And as you look around, whether it's today or as you leave, remember that every other person around you is valuable in God's eyes. In God's eyes, they are a masterpiece too. And their value should encourage us in the rest of this passage today, which says we can do the good things God planned for us long ago. So Pastor Steve is now going to come up and take us further in this passage. Good morning. Welcome to all of you joining us online today. Um, I'm going to start by backing up just a little bit in our Ephesians study this morning, then I'll get to the verses that, uh, or the verse that Ryan just shared with you. Last week we ended with Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I want to begin today by us reciting that verse out loud together in a personalized way. Would you read it with me, please? For it's by grace I have been saved through faith, and this is not from myself. It is the gift of God 
not by works, so that I cannot boast. So salvation is made possible to us by the grace of God, by his enablement, by his empowerment. You and I, in order to actually step into that uh, salvation, have to receive it through faith. We have to believe it, and we have to receive it. And then we have to realize this is not something I've earned. It's not something that I deserve. Now that's just the beginning point of new life in God. That's the beginning point of being born again. And we cannot think just because we don't deserve it and we can't earn this salvation that we're not valuable to God as, as Ryan shared with us. We're very valuable to him and he has plans for us. I liken, it, I liken it this way. When we're born again, it's like you now enter the race God has marked off for you and you're on the starting line and it's ready, set, and go. And then you begin to live this life of faith that he's ordained for each one of us and that's Ephesians 2.10. That's what it's talking about. I'm going to read it again for you this morning, Ephesians 2.10. I I don't think we can hear it enough today. You are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he's planned for you long ago. Now we're going to personalize this scripture. I want us to read this scripture out loud uh, together once again in a very personalized way. So read this with me as a declaration of faith today. For I am God's masterpiece. He has created me anew in Christ Jesus so I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. This verse makes known to you and I God's purpose for us. Why do we exist is a big question whether you're young or whether you're old. That great philosophical comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, frequently visited this very topic matter. In one comic strip, this exchange took place. Calvin's teacher says... Class, if there's no questions, we'll move on to the next chapter. Calvin, of course, raised his hand. I have a question. Teacher, well, certainly, Calvin, what is your question? Calvin says, what is the point of human existence? Teacher, I meant, Calvin, questions about the subject at hand. Calvin replies, I'd like to have this issue resolved before I extend any more energy on anything else. And Calvin's on to something incredibly important here, and it's this. If we don't know what our life's about, if we don't understand the purpose of our life, nothing else will make any sense. It's not worth expending our energy on. So here's our purpose according to Ephesians 2.10. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Jesus to do good works. We don't do good works to be okay with God, friends. We do good works because we are okay with God, and that is living the best life you can possibly live. Being God's masterpiece means this. God has artfully, skillfully, like a craftsman, put you together with talents and abilities and giftedness of the Holy Spirit. He's placed you in a unique family, a unique work environment, a unique neighborhood, a school, whatever, so that you can, with God's enablement, bring the glory of God to bear on that situation. Amen? Because you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is what gives life meaning and purpose. If we miss this point, friends, we will wander aimlessly through life, falling way short of what God means us to be and what he means for you and I to experience. The ancient Israelites, whom God delivered from bondage to Egypt, 
experienced wandering aimlessly because they did not step into the good work that God had for them in their time. You know, we live in a time where God has good works for us to do. Amen? And every generation has this place before them. Will you step into the good works that God has ordained for you? If you do not do that, you're destined to walk aimlessly through your life without purpose or without experiencing the blessings that God really wants you to experience. So for just a few moments, we're going to look at the example of Israel's refusal to enter the promised land and hopefully learn from it. So go back with me to a time long ago to Numbers chapter 11 through 14 to ancient Israel. God's chosen people, the Israelites, had been delivered from their bondage to Egypt. They now arrived at the edge of the promised land, and they're about to enter into the promised land. They arrived there by the mighty deliverance of God through his power. And God was delivering Israel for a reason. They were to be a people holy and set apart to his good pleasure. They were to become a a nation of priests uh, to the world. And really, the book of Numbers, which I'm about to read, to you from in a, in a couple moments here. It's a book of commissioning. It's, it's commissioning God's people for the works of service that God has ordained for them. In fact, numbers could be likened to a long version of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so the Israelites got to the edge of the promised land, and what did they do? Some of you know the story. They froze in fear. They didn't enter into God's ordained good work for them. When I was young, I took swimming lessons. I grew up in Minnesota, a land of 10,000 lakes in which you can drown. And so my mom figured I should take swimming lessons, and I started very young. And following in my mother's, you know, kind of counsel and footsteps, when my kids were born, I thought they should know how to swim. So we put them in swimming lessons when they were very young also, Um, at least the older ones. I got tired by the time I got to number six, and he was on his own. Anyway, um... So, inevitably, in in these swimming classes, the teacher would line up the little kids on the what? The diving board. It was this big climatic moment. And the kids were supposed to walk up to the edge of the diving board and just jump in the water. Now, when you're three foot tall, that seven feet to the water looks really, really, you know, like a a big deal. And it's inevitable that one little gal or one little guy would get to the edge of the board and what would they do? They would just freeze in, in, in fear. They're frozen. And, you know, as I got older and more compassionate, I would just mumble, shove the kid off the board. You know, let's get on with this thing, especially when I was at the swimming lessons. But that's not for this message, you know. Um, they, they were frozen in fear. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites when they got to the edge of the promised land. They froze. They froze in fear. I want to read about that to you from Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse uh, 27 through Numbers chapter 14, ending in verse 2. Listen to this. The explorers gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, uh, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. 
They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. Wah, 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 right? And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Uh, The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness. And if you were to read on in, in Numbers 14, you would see that the people of Israel got to the end of the diving board, and they froze in fear, and they refused to step in to the promised land that God had ordained for them to do as a good work. And God said, since you have tested me this way, you are now going to wander aimlessly for 40 years until every person in the generation that refused to go in to my promise will have died off, and then I will raise up another generation who are willing to go into my promises. That's essentially what God said. Which brings us to this thing to realize. God will, God's will will be accomplished. And the question often is, will we be the one that God uses or will he have to raise up others to do it? But God's will will be accomplished. That question, by the way, friends, echoes in our generation, amen? Just like it was posed by God to the ancient Israelites. In our time, we live in such a time as this. God is saying, will you do my will in your generation? If you won't do my will in your generation, then I will raise up others that will do my will. It's still a question that's before God's people today. So let's take a couple moments and look quickly at two causes for the Israelites' reluctance to go into the promised land. Cause number one was this, complaining. The ancient Israelites were a complaining group of people. We read about how they complained against Moses and Aaron in the, uh, the passage here from Numbers 13. And they were just doing this all the time. They complained about the life God had called them to. They complained about their hardships. They complained about lack of water. They complained about manna that God supernaturally supplied. We're getting tired of this manna. Give us some meat. They complained uh, uh, about this supernatural supply of God. At one point, Miriam, the, the, Miriam, the sister of, of, of Moses, and Aaron, his brother, complained against Moses, saying, who are you? Why are you better than us? Why do you rule? Why don't we rule? We're just as spiritual as you are. Here's the problem with complaining. Hear this, please. Hear what I'm about to share with you. Complaining results in a critical spirit. And a critical spirit saps the passion for commitment saps it right out of the follower of God. It lames up the follower of God. Anybody here ever break a bone? Yeah, a lot of you have broken bones. Man, what are you doing? Anybody ever sprain an ankle or sprain a wrist or something like that? I sprained my right ankle so many times playing basketball. I mean, I, I quit counting after 18 sprains, right? It just kind of messed it up permanently, um, tore the ligaments and stretched them all out, right? When you sprain something or when you break something, that lames you up, and you what? You can't do what you normally could do with that appendage, whatever it was you were doing before. When we are a complaining, critical group of people, we lame ourselves up so that when God says, move and do these good things I want you to do, do these good works I've ordained for you, we are just not spiritually receptive and in a place of health to be able to do that. Complaining is a big deal. 
It takes you out of the game frequently. The other problem that the Israelites faced was complacency. Ten explorers went into the land. Eight come back with a bad report. Basically what they were saying to the Israelites is this. God's will is not doable. We can't take on this crazy task he's asking us to take on. We can't succeed at it. We can't take the land. Let's just give up. Let's just hunker down here and just get by. But we can't step into the will of God. What we're facing is so big and oppressive, we're like grasshoppers in the sight of this thing. Really? Like a grasshopper? Really? I don't think so. Complacency is the enemy of God. Here's a crucial perspective. You must never ask in your life, what is manageable? Rather ask, God, what do you want me uh, to do? What does God want you to do? What does God want you to do in your family? What does God want you to do with your friendships? What does God want you to do in your school? What does God want to do in your work? Complaining and, compl- and complacency will take you out of the game. They're fatal flaws that detour God's people from doing the good works. Here's a grave error. It's a grave error to think, I don't have to do the good works God has ordained for me. I just don't have to do it. The Israelites tried that. What happened to them? They wandered 40 years aimlessly in the land. God said, if you don't want to do what I want you to do, then your life's going to be one of meaninglessness and aimless wandering. We're God's masterpiece. We're created to be used by him. We're like the perfect tool for the situation that God has for us. I I love to do different kinds of projects. I love to work in my house and my car and some of those things. And you know what? The tool that works is the best tool. Amen? You oftentimes are the best tool that God has available for a situation. My question to you today is, will you be used by him? And if you are used by him, You're a blessing. But it's an error to think, I don't have to do the good works that God has ordained for me. God had delivered the Israelites by mighty miracles. By the ten plagues, he delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. Then he supernaturally led them and he he supplied them with manna and quail meat and water from rocks. He led them by a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. They had been the recipients of all these manifest, uh, manifold blessings of, uh, of God. And then they get to the edge of the promised land and God says, now listen, Israelites, you need to take a risk. You need to step out in faith. It's going to be something that's a little bit uncomfortable for you. It's maybe even full of some conflict. And the Israelites got right to the edge of, of, of the promised land. And what did they do? They froze up and they said, we want your blessings, God, but we don't want to be people who step out in faith, take a risk. Listen. God calls you to do good works. It's not optional. And they may prove to be personally costly. They may prove to be personally costly. Step in the good works that God has ordained for you to do, understanding that you're going to have to sometimes pay a price. If you're married, step into that marriage, man. Sacrifice for it. It's a good work. It's going to cost you something, right? That's okay, because the outcome's fantastic if we'll step into it. We're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation to this culture. Step into it, amen? Be the man or woman that God has called you to be in the situation you find yourself. It may cost you something, but the benefits far outweigh any, any cost. God forgave the ancient Israelites. They were still his covenant people. He still loved them. But yet, something was lost. Now they wandered aimlessly. They still had meetings. They still had their spiritual rituals, but vision was gone. What could have been was gone. The blessings that they could have experienced were gone. Their purpose was now gone. 
they had experienced this profuse, abundant grace of God, but they missed out on the great move of God. Listen, generation that I'm talking to now. All of you are one generation. I don't care if you're little or old. We're all in this pandemic right now together, and we can either sit here and kick against it and get all angry and get all mad about it and say, it's not fair, or we can step into the moment that God has given us as his people and step into his movement. Amen? I'll take it. It was weak, but I'll take it. (laughs) Conclusion is this. God wants radical commitment to his good works from you and me. He wants us to become doers of good works in our households, in our businesses, in our schools, with our friends, and in our neighborhoods. He wants us to be ones who are ministers of reconciliation. Don't buy into the lie of the evil one that you're insignificant and you're not of value. Pastor uh, Ryan covered that really well this morning. You are of infinite value to your God, for you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. One application point. What good work is God laying on your heart to do? Then do it. Do one thing this week. You don't have to do a thousand things. Do one good work this week. Start there. And if you want to continue on uh, in the study, go to the Discipling with Family and Friends part of your note guide and use that. God bless you.